When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Hey there, my name is Ricky Smith and I'm the founder of Random Acts of Kindness Everywhere, a nonprofit that simply does exactly what it says, promote kindness everywhere. We know the world is crazy right now. If you are searching for a podcast that has a deeper conversation about race, my co-host Angel Gray and I will be discussing everything going on right now on our podcast, Random Acts of Podcast on Blue Wire Podcast Network. To find out more, go to rakenow.org. Enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 197 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network and sponsor betonline.ag. Hit that subscription button to be first to listen to the hottest takes on the biggest stories coming out of the Camp No. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm again joined by Frances Tomas, Barca columnist featured on ESPN, Barca Blog, and many others. Frances, I cannot believe it. Barcelona are just days away from playing again. Hola, Gules. Yes. Um, Unfortunately, people cannot see what I'm doing, but I'm jumping up and down the whole of my apartment um, celebrating. I'm really, really excited, and I can't wait to see the ball rolling again. Yeah, it's only been three months, but honestly, it's felt like nine lifetimes. For those who may have missed it, on, on a much more serious note, I spoke with Kevin Williams last Thursday about the protests in the United States and how football does take a backseat to 
all of the things that are currently happening in the world. Foremost, you could see the protests going on all over the world. It's, it's also a global movement going on. So give that show a listen and check out the show notes to learn ways to get involved and check out some resources there. So that's what I'll start the show with. I want to implore people that just because that show happened and just because some of those ideas were said about Black Lives Matter, it doesn't mean that that fight stops in any way, even though football is coming back and even though things are all exciting. And I know it's hard to feel a lot of different things at the same time, but I think that's still what we're feeling. So I'm going to shift gears the best that I can, as always. So on today's show, just to prepare everybody, Francis and I are answering one question with many multiple answers. What is Barcelona's path to the Liga trophy? Then we might get to a little bit of transfer stuff, but most importantly, we're going to end the show by previewing Mallorca, going with a deeper dive again. All the excitement is coming and building up to that match without any fans, but we're going to preview Mallorca the best we can anyway. But as I said, where we start here is what is Barcelona's path to the Liga trophy? And certainly, Frances, it doesn't lead through Real Madrid, but it does lead to making sure that Barca get as many points as possible over their rivals and hope that Real Madrid slips up because Barca does have two points in hand. Yep, 100%. Um, Kike Setien was speaking to the official Barca channel this week, I think it was yesterday, and um, he said it much better than I can put it. 11 matches, you need 33 points. You need to win everything. Um, I don't really foresee Real Madrid dropping any points, but to be honest, I don't really see Barca dropping any points either. You know, I think that um, there's no Copa del Rey in the middle. There's no Champions League in the middle. There's no uh, international breaks to get our players distracted and, you know, <laughs> if experience is anything to go by, injured uh, while coming back. So it's going to be like a mini World Cup. You know, it's 11 matches and Barca, in paper and in theory, have got a much better squad than all of the teams that they're going to be facing. You know, and I do understand there are some difficult matches coming up, especially the last I think five of the last six are, are pretty difficult. I'm sure you've got the stats coming up soon and the names, etc. But I do think that the most important thing is to hit the ground running. Um, players, I mean, they, 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 I don't think they've ever in their careers waited so long to play football again. And motivation has to be through the roof. Um, listening to what Setien was saying, he was commenting of Luis Suarez um, in particular, but obviously the, the whole of the squad in general saying that they're incredibly switched on. And I am I just really excited to see what they can do. Um, 11 matches, 33 points, gives us the title, and that has to be the target. Yeah, let me give you those Kike Seti in quotes. All of the players are very keen and very motivated to play. And this is also in reference to the scary, I'd say it wasn't a scary injury for Messi being out long-term, but in this abbreviated season, end of the season, any little injury could mean two games, not just one game because the games are three days apart or so. So it seems like Messi is ready to go, is going to be playing against Mallorca. Same thing for Luis Suarez, as you had mentioned. And Kike Setien said, all of the players are very keen and very motivated to play. As I said, it's been good for us because the players have been resting. It's been different to other years in their careers. The team looked to have special motivation. I suppose that's the same for every squad. And for those who've been listening the last few weeks, I keep bringing that up, that for Barcelona, with even the likes of Artur, Frankie de Jong, Sergio Busquets, Jordi Alba, basically everybody but at this point, Gerard Piquet in his career and Marc-Andre Ter Stegen, who still has to get on the planes and sit behind Manuel Neuer as the backup. So much of Barcelona's starting 11, and then you go down the list to their 
fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth guys on the bench, they also play some kind of international competition. So to have these guys rest is certainly a positive sign for Barcelona. So as promised, Frances, here's also the schedule. It's Mallorca who will preview at the end of the show. And then Leganes on Tuesday, so the next Tuesday, two of the bottom three teams in the table, those need to be wins. Then Sevilla on the road, which could be tricky, especially as we spoke about with the heat being a little bit more than up in Catalonia. Athletic Club at home, Celta de Vigo on the road, Atletico Madrid at home, Villarreal, Espanyol, Valladolid, Osasuna, and Alaves finish it off. So as you had mentioned, of the last five or six games, though, Frances, Atletico at home is their, we'll say, sixth to final game. But then it's Villarreal, Espanyol, Valladolid, Osasuna, Alaves. By this point, Espanyol might basically be 90% mathematically eliminated. But again, that's always a derby, something to worry about. But that said, they might not have anything to play for. Valladolid is fighting against, uh, in, they are in the relegation scrap. They've got a few points ahead of Mallorca, Leganes, and, and Celta. Celta, meanwhile, also in a relegation fight. They sit in the final safety spot. Osasuna and Alaves languishing I wouldn't say languishing. They're smaller teams that are somewhere in the middle of the Liga table. They seem to be okay on their on their way, but you never know, even with 11 matches. Again, Barca want to win 33, but everybody else wants to get just enough to stay up. So, Frances, when I read that schedule to you, what do you think of the schedule? Well, um, it's pretty much what I said at the beginning. Um, I just want to sort of just drop one point in there about Espanyol. Obviously, being Catalan, having grown up with them, um, having to put up with them for the whole, <laughs> the whole of my life, and having several friends, actually, um, that support Espanyol, I have to say that I think this is one of the most difficult games that we have to face. If by the time we face Espanyol, they have been relegated, it will be the, the match of their life in order to spoil our chances of winning La Liga. If you rewind probably 13 or 15 years ago now, um, it was when De La Peña scored at the Camp Nou and they stopped us from winning La Liga. Um, it's like it was the biggest celebration of of the whole of the history, because, you know, let's face it, they've never really won anything significant. And, and you know, they just, it looks like the life target is to make us miserable. Um, so I'm sure that if they have been relegated, that's going to be like the icing on the cake for them, <laughs> or the only way of saving the season. And if they haven't been relegated, then it's going to be one of the toughest matches ever. So I really do think that in my eyes, obviously facing Atletico at home is, is red in the calendar, but I think fire is going to, you know, to be burning when we face Espanol, for sure. Yeah, what you're referencing was now 13 years ago in 2007, that was the Tamudazo in the title race when both Real Madrid and Barcelona were level on 72 points. Sevilla was in third, and it was a slip-up by Reichardt's team right there at the end. And it is an interesting thing to note, too. I don't want to go too far in the weeds there, but Reichardt had already won a Champions League trophy, but then before uh, the time between Pep Guardiola and Reichardt winning the Champions League, things got really sour and I think isn't remembered as well because of the Champions League success, Frank Reichardt, but certainly a, a little bit of a stain and one of those, like, uh, not a final nail in the coffin, but not something that should be kindly remembered. But I also want to talk about another rival again in Real Madrid in that what's interesting in the differences between the two, in the last five years, Barca have been the consistent ones. They've been the same team all year round, especially the two and a half years of Ernesto Valverde. And I said consistent, that could be good and bad matches. They've had good matches, they've had bad matches, sure, but it never felt like it was Jekyll and Hyde. They were consistent 
and good enough to win La Liga. That's why Barcelona, even under Ernesto Alverde, continued to win La Liga trophies, but their peak was never high enough to succeed in the Champions League. Madrid, meanwhile, regularly conceded the league so they could win one-off games in the, in the Champions League and be immortalized in the only way that people remember them. Madrid started this league campaign looking like hot garbage this year. They did. And they really turned it on in January and February to their credit and to Zidane's credit, including that El Clasico win in February. So which Madrid team, as much as we know which Barcelona team is probably going to show up, the bigger question for me is which Madrid team is going to show up? Is it the one that started the campaign or is it going to be a team that's going to look well-rested and like the team that were flying high right before the break? I think it's best for them in the long run, but I think Los Blancos are still a team that are trying to mix that next generation with the declining previous one. So they could have a little bit of trouble out of the gates. But I'm not sure. I think it's a lot about what Real Madrid are going to be hitting the ground running or whether or not they're going to focus on the Champions League because as Barcelona still have to face and finish off Napoli, in theory, Real Madrid are in a, uh, in, in a fight with Man City and Pep Guardiola. So they've got an even tougher task ahead. I think the best thing for Barca and Barca fans to do is to assume that Madrid will win every match. Um, I don't see them you know, taking the foot of the accelerator as you quite correctly said um, they, they were pressing before the confinement started. I do think they've got a great squad. Um, I do think that they were superior to Barca when we when we clashed and lost to them 2-0, as you mentioned, uh, before the break. And I just have to think that, you know, Barca have a great squad as well. And they've got some depth now because obviously the return of Suarez is a breath of fresh air. And I think that Barca need to aim at winning all the 33 matches. Um, going to Mallorca, I think it's going to be a good leverer. Um, it is crucial that we get the three points. And not just that, I think that if we can put a sort of stamp our feet and, and, and win with authority, that would really, you know, send alert going around the whole of La Liga and Real Madrid will be watching. I think that would be the best way to move forward. Yeah, mentality and authority is actually a really good word here because I was watching the Bundesliga as most people have been just for something. And getting right down to business is going to be mentally, I think, even a bigger key than physically what's going to be happening as far as feeling refreshed and feeling rested. We've seen what Bayern Munich has done since the Bundesliga return. Borussia Dortmund has been good and fun to start the season. I've, I think I've watched every Borussia Dortmund match so far, but Bayern have been annihilating teams since German football came back. And a tight one nothing win over Dortmund, it seems like the trophy's already wrapped up there. There's, I, I think at this point, there's still seven points separating Bayern and, and Dortmund. If Barca can stay hot, say win four straight to start and Madrid drop any points, it puts the pressure solely on Real Madrid instead of Barcelona. Two points at the moment separate the two, with Madrid having one El Clasico and the other being a draw. So it felt like going into the, the stoppage that the pressure was on Barca. But once again, I think it does come down to mentality, right? Bayern led emotionally by the players. And I was listening to another podcast, Total Soccer Show, one of the more successful soccer podcasts here in the U.S., that they had on a, a gentleman, a journalist, talking about Bayern. And he said, the likes of Thomas Müller, Manuel Neuer, when you enter that Bayern Munich locker room, you are not coming for their starting spots. There is a hierarchy there that if you want to get playing time, you have got to have the proper mentality and you've got to be as cutthroat as they are. And not in a negative and disrespectful and derogatory way, but in that very all-business German kind of way. The players enjoy each other and players want to go and play there. That's why Bayern are able to get all the young German talent on free transfers and you know basically have their opponents suffer in the transfer market because they get cheaper talent. And 
their veterans take care of business much more than the staff does. And it's almost a, a culture that it's accepted that the players kind of run the ship. And in so many other situations around the world, that means mutiny, that means issue, that means rows and problems. And that's what Barca at the moment, though, is in theory. That Messi, PK, I mean, I, I guess you could say Busquets and even Luis Suarez, you understand the pull that they have in the club and the power that the players hold and beyond their weekly wages. So they're led by those old veterans, but they need to have, coming back out of this break, that same, not even winning mentality, but that same we-will-not-lose mentality of the German champions. Barcelona, they're not going to get overconfident. I think mentally, I'm not afraid of them going, oh, we can't take any opponent for granted. I don't think they're going to take the opponents for granted. They need to go into every match and say, we are already the Liga champions. It, they're not going to put, they, don't take your foot off the accelerator. We are champions and that is our trophy. And we're going to come out and take care of business every time because we are the better team. And if they can have that mentality, then the Liga is theirs. They still have Messi and Suarez. And you look at what Real Madrid is that Zidane is, again, he's in that transition phase with trying to, to incorporate a younger generation with the stars that have been there for a very long time, including Kareem Benzema and Tony Cruz and, and Luka Modric, and things are changing in the air there. And so Barca have to capitalize on that and take their established, experienced squad and, and just take care of business. Yep, totally agree with that. There's, there's two points that you're making there. I think that the point you're making about the dressing room, I think that that is one of the reasons. And people haven't really understood when I've said this before. Um, with the selling Semedo or selling Sergio Roberto. I don't know if this will come up later in the pod, but um, I did say that Sergio Roberto should stay and Semedo should go because I think Roberto is a superior superior player. He's got the highest IQ, and I think that in terms of association, which is the style of play that Barca plays, he's the better player. And, you know, another aside, Manchester City, e.g. Pep Guardiola, wouldn't want... Sergio Roberto over Semedo, if Semedo was the better player. Um, I think that what Sergio Roberto adds is the Barcelonismo, the Barca DNA, the understanding of the club, the winning mentality, the history, the environment, and all of that beyond his footballing capabilities, which I think are, are unquestionable, um, are make him a, a, a player that we should be keeping. And, and that sort of links back to what you were saying about um, Bayern Munich dressing room. And going back to your point about what the Bundesliga has shown us, well, it's just showing us that the bigger team Normally, uh, before it all started, we weren't sure if they would be winning. We didn't think that, you know, the lesser teams, the minor teams uh, with other fans, we didn't know how the, all that was going to pan out. But the Bundesliga is showing us that the bigger teams with the deeper squads and the higher quality are the ones that are getting the job done. Um, so I think that given the fact that the Real Madrid and Barca squads are all rested, both mentally and physically, that has to give them an advantage, uh, which is why I'm, I'm targeting 33 points to win La Liga. Um, I would have never in a million years said that before the break because obviously there would have been Champions League in the middle, etc. and lots of distractions. So long story cut short, I think the key for success would be physical power, physical stamina and avoiding injuries. So if we can stay physical, hit the ground running, uh, be aggressive, be willing, be positive, uh, play showing solidarity with each other um, and obviously avoiding injury. I think we've got a very good chance of winning this, especially because we're two points ahead already. Yeah, let's talk about injuries on the other side of the break. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24-7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. 
And live right now on Bet Online's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls, Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Yeah, speaking of injuries, just nothing but good news. Luis Suarez is ready to return 147 days after having surgery. The Uruguayan striker has received the all clear from the club's medical services, so he's got the green light. If you're Kike Setien, Frances, do you start Luis Suarez against Mallorca? Or do you wait until Leganes on Tuesday? Or do you just start him in both, like has been the case with Luis Suarez? If he plays, he starts. That's been the way that Luis Suarez, as much as we think of Messi always needing to play and always starting and, you know, never really coming off the bench, Luis Suarez is the same thing. If he's healthy enough to play, he starts and almost goes the full 90 every time. So you know that's what he's probably pushing for, feeling healthy and wanting to play again. But if you're set to him, what do you do then? Mallorca, Leganes, or both? I start him on the first game. With a shadow of a doubt. I mean, Barca Medical, and I was listening to this in Catalonia Radio the other day, uh, the Barca Medical staff have been quite shady, to say the least, um, for many years, and particularly this season, not always sharing information when it had to be shared. And, for example, we saw that with Messi. So the club website just announcing that Messi was not injured, uh, was just sort of experiencing some discomfort. For the next day, announcing an injury, then the next day he doesn't show up for training. So you cannot really trust what the medical uh, team is telling you. But the other flip of that is just to say that if he's got the green light, he must be incredibly well and he must be more than fit enough to play. So from my perspective, I will play him from the beginning in Mallorca and then see what happens. You know, uh, hopefully, and I don't want to call for what weather here, but hopefully he does not pick up another injury. Hopefully he's fit to go. And if he can give us 60 good minutes, then then so be it. Um, the other point with Suarez starting is Griezmann. So if Suarez starts as, as a striker, which obviously is the, in my eyes, the only position that he will play under Setien, and he's obviously traditionally played there as well, would generate a space for Griezmann to play on the left wing because we're assuming that Messi will be playing on the right wing. If that is the case, then Braithwaite is, uh, is going to be used as a sub. Um, I've, I've got really, really high hopes from Braithwaite coming off the bench. Um, every report that I've read online and you know some of the people that... Um, have been speaking in Catalan radio as well. They say that out of everybody in the squad, the two players that are the fittest is Braithwaite, which I don't think will come as a surprise because he was already one of the fittest before the break. But the second one, I don't know if you'll ever guess, is Ivan Rakitic. I hear a lot of reports saying that Rakitic is the fittest he has been. Um, I don't know if he's looking for a contract elsewhere. I don't know if he's trying to attract some novias, like we say in Spanish, some girlfriends, some, some brides, so he can finally get married and go elsewhere. Um, obviously, in the philosophical way of that. Yeah, I think um, he is quite. He's quite married with children, as has been the case for a while. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he's married. He's married to his Barca contract, which you know, um, I'm sure that will come up later on in the show as well. It's not really helping us too much. But anyway, those two seem to be the fittest, and I think that Suarez just needs to be given a go. He needs to be tried up, and then let's see where we are. You know, it's funny, since we're talking about Luis Suarez and, and even Rakitic, it, it just came up this week that the treble winning season back in 2015, that was this week. And you think about MSN, and we saw all the news about that. And I'm not just talking about Neymar here. I'm actually talking about the Luis Suarez and even Rakitic. They were the first and second, that being Rakitic scored the first, Luis Suarez scored the second goal. And Luis Suarez's goal is the one that really put that Champions League final to rest. And then Neymar was the cherry on top with his goal at the end. Sure. But in 2015, we still hold 
the Luis Suarez and even Rakitic that are at the club to that 2015 standard, which is interesting because uh, with the criticism that Rakitic has gotten over all these recent years, and even this year, where I, I think Rakitic, I don't know what it was, and I'd love to almost go back, but you can't because social media destroys the receipts in 10 seconds. But I would love to see what all started this or when the first hint of Rakitic being a well-trusted, somebody in midfield that people enjoyed and turned very toxic on the internet. And I would love to see where, even at the stadium as well, I would love to see where the Camp Nou faithful, what match it was, if there really was almost a particular moment when everyone seemed to turn on Rakitic and believe that it was all over for him at Barcelona and he had done his job and it's time to get rid of him now. I'd love to see what that, when that moment was or what that looked like. For Luis Suarez, the same way, where he's five years older than he was in 2015 and he's still held to that same standard. But I think he should be, though, because as a striker at Barcelona, if you are starting at the number nine position, you have got to score goals and you have to produce. That is the only option. There are how many strikers, how many starting forwards in the world are there that would love, that would give their other leg to play at Barcelona. And if you're starting in that number nine spot, if you're Luis Suarez, then you're being asked to deliver and you have to. But yeah, I just was feeling about that 2015. It almost felt like an apparition, like a specter kind of hanging over us at the moment. And thankfully, honestly, thankfully, Barca get to play uh, La Liga first and get to get back into league action before they have to worry about Champions League a few weeks or even months down the line. Yeah, but that level of expectation is what makes Barca Barca. Um, if you rewind, or the current Barca at least, if you rewind 30, 40 years ago, the level of expectation was high. But, you know, if you didn't win La Liga because Madrid were better, it wasn't the end of the world. It was sort of expected that Madrid could edge us. Um, but in the last 20 years, we won the vast majority of leagues. Um, Barca have played in a particular way. And the level of expectation is to win everything every single year. Um, and, you know, there's been... I remember growing up in the 1990s, early and, and obviously towards 98, 99 uh, and all that, um, we won La Copa and there were celebrations on the streets. You know, if you end up a season right now, just win La Copa, people are embarrassed to go out and celebrate because it's seen as a minor title. But that's how far the club has come in the last 20, 30 years, um, obviously under Croix's influence and, you know, with Guardiola and, and Messi taking the club forward the way they have. Yeah, so I, I want to transition now from talking about 2015 to talking about a player who should be in Barca's squad for the next Champions League trophy they win, maybe even this year. It was reported this week that Barca turned down a 100 million euro bid for Ansu Fati. Frances, were they right to do that? Because you've said things to me personally, and then you've written things, and I think you've got a lot of different ideas. I feel like you're debating yourself, and I won't even have to debate you with this. Yeah, 100%. Um, first thing is, we don't know if that's true. <laughs> okay, so I agree. let's just take it with a bit. Let's just take it with a pinch of salt. Uh, this, is, um, this is a bit of news that has pretty much only been reported by Sport. As we know, Sport and Mundo Deportivo, I would say Mundo Deportivo more than Sport, to be honest, they are very close to the board. Uh, and sometimes some bits and pieces get leaked out and get promoted and, and see what happens. I don't quite know what the reasoning behind this is, um, whether the board was trying to sound out the public opinion on selling Ansu Fati, uh, whether it was in fact true, I'm not sure. But the, the reports that I read in more depth today as well was that it was in fact the premiership and they were saying Jorge Mendes um, and Manchester United 
having 100 million euros to spend on Ansu Fati, which is, is pretty debatable. Um, I wrote that obviously in Barca blog, and you know, I would assume that the vast majority of listeners have checked out the website, which, by the way, we're publishing a new article every single day. I would say that Ansu Fati is the future of Barca. Um, I would think that selling Ansu Fati right now makes very little sense. Obviously, at 17 years old, he could become the very next Messi. But then again, every time you give someone the tag of the next Messi, he ends up failing because, no, you know, let's face it, there's never going to be another Messi like there isn't another Iniesta or Xavi or Puyol, etc. And he needs to become his own player. Um, having said all that, 100 million euros is an insane amount of money. Um, and if the offer was serious, that must have been a really difficult um, decision for the board to take. Um, I would be undecided. My heart tells me, no, don't do it. Uh, but mainly because then, what would the board buy with that 100 million euros? Just a junior Firpo and Andre Gomes and Neto? That's 100 million euros. I'd rather have Ansu Fati than all those three tanks. Yeah, I think that's the key here, right? That what does that 100 million euros actually get you, especially in today's market? Where I think when you were saying, talking about the board and their connections with Mundo Deportivo and trying to sound certain things out, I think this is even how I feel about Neymar, which is it's so complicated here, and I hate that I have to be the one to bring up Neymar now, that for as much as Neymar is going to cost, this summer, it's just not going to work economically. I'm not saying that Neymar returning to Barca is dead forever, but if there's a big star, we've talked about it many, many times, it's not even Erlen Holland or Timo Werner, it's that we know where the saga is. Barca, they love sagas, they love getting themselves into transfer sagas that even can last multiple windows. So we know that the next big star to come to Barca is, what, 90% going to be Lautaro Martinez, unless Real Madrid decide to sneak him out, or Manchester United, or whoever it is, or Inter Milan, even, with their rich ownership, decides to, to find a way to keep him. But all that said, we know that that's kind of where that the, big, the next big name is going. For Ansu Fadi, I think because he is still a teenager, A, I think it's dangerous, even if the, the board were trying to sound things out about the public's interest, he's just 17. And I actually don't care what the public thinks about a 17-year-old because we have no idea the kind of player he's going to be. 100 million euros is a lot of money, but if the club itself were to even have put that rumor out there for feelers, I think it's a dangerous thing to do to a teenager. The other point there is that this board, because we know that no one from this current board or from this, we'll say, administration, Bartomeu's very tight-knit group, is going to have a real stake in the next election. And that's most likely, assuredly, going to be 2021, so next summer. Nobody from this current board is going to be the next president of Barcelona. So I think it's destructive and dangerous to make such a big move when you're not the board that's going to be dealing with that. And I know that's how politics work. I know that's how they do that, where it's not their legacy they have to worry about. If they wind up selling Ansu Fati and that helps bring Neymar back to the club, that is what they're going to be remembered for if it works out and that's their legacy. But they don't have to do with the ramifications if it all winds up being a stinker. It'll just be on the next board to fix that problem. And I understand that. So Ansu Fati is one where I would say, if anybody's going to make a big decision about his career, A, I would want it to be the player, to have the power to be able to do that and the license to do that. But B, I would want it to be the board that is just coming in and is going to have him be a big part of that that situation. I had even mentioned this now, we're probably going on a month. I, I had spoken about during the Laporta era when Mark Ingla and Ferran Soriano 
and Chiki Pajera staying, and they made that decision, and they backed the decision that Guardiola made to get rid of Ronaldinho and Deco, and while the Samuel Eto'o uh, exodus didn't work out, they chose and they supported the manager to be able to do that, and it all felt like a new regime. Even though Juan Laporta had been there for a few years already, there was that feeling of new blood, and I, we're not always trying to recapture that. It's impossible to recapture that Guardiola magic or whatever, but the point is there that Club went into a new direction with new faces as the board, and by prioritizing Messi and younger players in that way, it all kind of worked in tandem. And I think you really do need that synergy behind the scenes. And so for a board that's almost in their lame duck period, that's on its way out, to have that 100 million euro price tag connected to Ansu Fadi and the idea of, in theory, selling your future, as much as 100 million euros is a lot of money to the idea of, of selling a player that should be your future, I think is a little reckless if it was coming from the club. And even this, I, again, I said it on the YouTube video last week, 24 appearances for Fati and five goals is a terrific start of a career at Barcelona. And I think not to assume that he's the next Messi. I, I think that's hyperbole. Just stop. He's going to be a good player. That's it. He's just going to be a good player. And that's what I want to see. And just relax, everybody. It's the same thing with Frances as we transition to some other transfer news. As much as we want to talk about Pianic or Toro Martinez, or we've seen all those different rumors, even Fabian Ruiz was recycled again, that one. Francisco Trincao was a, a deal that was made for, I think at this point, it's going to be 34.5 million euros that was made in the winter. He's coming in in the summertime. He's looking at this point, I know he's just 20. He has seven goals in his last 12 games since he signed for Barcelona, plus three assists. And Trincao has all the makings of being a really important player for Barca, maybe not next year, but two or three years down the road. And Kike Setien has even weighed in uh, through sport that he could play as an attacking midfielder next year instead of, uh, well, he's currently playing in the right wing spot that Messi does in theory occupy at Braga. But if they play him as an attacking midfielder, I'm starting to wonder, is Kike Setien considering using a double pivot? And maybe that's even why they're looking at Pianic. And those, that kind of thinking is all connected there. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking ahead to next season, it would just, I would say the key of the whole Barca team next year is whether Messi is on form. You know, it's happened every year for the last 15. But also, uh, what's the young going to be? Is he going to be an interior that basically is trying to fit into the system? Or is the system going to change slightly to accommodate him and also the, the needs of, a, of an engine Busquets. Um, if they go for a double pivot, then that gives you an attacking midfielder there. It could be Messi himself, to be honest. And then Trincao goes to a side. Um, obviously, depending how the transfers go this summer, you could have Dembele fully recovered, says he with a magic wand and optimistic, you know, optimistic um, thoughts that he's probably never had in the last month and a half. Uh, but if you got Dembele... Fit. You've got Trincao in the team, you've got Griezmann, Suarez, Messi, Lautaro, and you've got Fati who stays and, and you know, who, who's getting the playing time? Where are these people going to play? And I think that there are a lot of incognitas that, that need to be need to be lifted. Um, when we were talking about um, La Masia, etc., it's just all about what kind of club do we want to be? Do we want a club that uses the youth system to nurture the first team, e.g., are we a club that's going to do what we've always done whenever we've been successful under Croy, Guardiola, Luis Enrique, etc.? Or are we going to use La Masia to make money? And, and I, for one, is going to be option one. La Masia informs, uh, nurtures, and basically is the first team with some sprinkles of extraordinary world-class players around it. But obviously, for, for that to happen, we need to have someone at the top from board level 
that appoints a coach that believes in that philosophy. And I, I'm sure that listeners of the podcast know that I don't trust Bartomeu to do that at all. I think that's the biggest challenge of having the season come back now. It, in middle of June, at this point, we're already in transition of transfer window mode. But that's not what's going on right now. It's still this season. This season is 2019-2020. So I think the, the best way to do that is to end the show by giving a preview on Mallorca. So to preview Mallorca, I'm going to lay it all out to you, Frances, and see what you think about all this. I know we've been talking about the Camp Nou atmosphere, but the San Moy Stadium has been the only reason why Mallorca aren't at the bottom of the table. As I had said back with the schedule, they're currently sitting in the final relegation spot with Celta de Vigo right above them. So they have just five points, though, away from home this season. Just five points. That's last in the table. And they've got 20 points on the island. Losing what makes their home stadium special could make this one ugly for Barcelona early on. Mallorca, as I said, sit 18th in the table in a relegation spot, one point behind Celta de Vigo and two behind Abar. Espanyol looks like they're going down, as we talked about. And Leganes, while only three points behind Celta, did lose Braithwaite. Uh, cough, 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 cough um, before the break. So I wonder how Leganes is going to survive without him. Against the Giants, Mallorca, they've generally been playing a 4-2-3-1. And that includes their first match against Barca this season, which Barca won 5-2. This formation leaves their leading goal scorer, Ante Budimir, who did have both Mallorca goals in the first meeting, up top alone. And against some of the bigger clubs, that's been the idea, just to hope that Budimir can get something in the box. And that's usually what the minnows in these different leagues have to do. They just have to use a big target striker. But right before the break, Vicente Moreno, he was going with a 3-5-2 formation with Takafusa Kubo, who we all know. Again, I don't want to break my own rule and talk about Kubo, sitting underneath the pairing of Budimir and Cucho Hernandez, who was on loan, a young South American striker. So the 3-5-2 formation, I think it worked a little bit better to just make Mallorca a little more aesthetically pleasing, but I don't know if that actually yields results. The other player I want to really highlight here is 32-year-old Danny Rodriguez, who has spent much of his career outside of the first division for teams like Racing for All, Racing Santander, and Albacete. He's the workhorse of that team, and not to say he's a feel-good story of La Liga, but he's a typical La Liga player that you can see, right? He's a guy in his early 30s or mid-30s who is the workhorse of a team that has played so much in the, the, the smaller divisions. And when he finally gets a shot with one of the clubs that are just scrapping by in the Liga, it really is their moment. And so for that, you can see that he's a bit creative. He works hard defensively, serves as the spirit of the team, and kind of makes you wonder why he wasn't a La Liga player before. He can also play as a center midfielder, the attacking midfielder in place of Kubo behind the strikers, or out on the wing. So for Danny Rodriguez, I am interested to see where Moreno plays him. Now, Mallorca did try to reinforce in the winter, but it was difficult with the smallest budget in all of the Liga. 30 million euros is the spending limit, Frances. In context, Barca has 671 million euros as their budget. Real Madrid, 641. Atletico, 349. And Sevilla, 185. 30 million euros. So they did bring in right winger Alejandro Pozo from Sevilla on loan, defensive midfielder from Newcastle, Sung Young Ki as a free transfer, and left back Leonardo Couturis from Olympiacos on loan, who probably got injured and is out for the season. So not really the cavalry. I'm going to guess, Frances, all three names that I just spit at you right there and getting within the 30 million euros budget for the entire year, not just the winter transfer. I'm going to guess you never heard any of those names. No, all I keep thinking is that Mallorca should have been clever and just bought Andre Gomes for those 30 million or Neto as we've done. And then that's it. That's problem, problem solved. Um, thank you for breaking down Mallorca for us, Dan. It's always really, really informative and detailed. I'm going to go for talking about Barca a little bit. So here's my formation for the upcoming match. 
uh, that you know can be used in the matches moving forward with obviously rotation included because let's not forget as we said in the last spot there's five substitutions allowed moving forward in La Liga um, so here we go we've got um, Ter Stegen on goal I'm sure that you know I'm not getting any bonus points for that one Pique and Untiti in the middle um, Lengle as we know is suspended but you know I do expect him to come on um, not obviously in the, ma- the match against Mallorca but in coming matches and possibly being the, the, the partner for Piqué on a more regular basis. On the right back, I would go for Sergio Roberto. Obviously, Semedo, I would say, could play, I don't know, 40, 50, 40 45 minutes uh, in the second half in order to give um, Sergio Roberto enough break and him also getting much-needed playing time. On the left, Jordi Alba, um, junior Firpo possibly coming at the end of the match as well, considering we've got the five subs. Busquets, um, I think he's going to be a fixture uh, because obviously Setien really, really loves him. He's refreshed both mentally and physically, so I think Busquets starts. I will go for Artur and the Young as my inter- interiors. Then you've got Rakitic, Arturo Vidal, and possibly even Ricky Puig coming in at some point. Obviously, that depends on how much he's needed in Barca B, but you know, I, I, I want to throw in the mix there as well. And then up front, as we mentioned before, Luis Suarez as a striker, Messi on the right, Griezmann on the left, but Braithwaite, I would say he's going to be quite important moving forward, to be honest. Um, I would give him a 35 to 40 minute run, and who knows if Ansu Fati has a chance, because, um, and I got this wrong in our last pod, so apologies for that. I just read a report that obviously um, wasn't too correct. Um, Ousmane Dembele is most likely going to be returning in late July. Um, not in late June, as I as I said in the last post. So apologies for that one. Um, that is my information. But as I keep saying, pretty much forever, it's not about having 11 starters. It's about having 16 starters. And Barca, without injuries at this moment in time, certainly have them. So I'm, I'm fully confident that if nothing changes, we can win this league without a doubt. Yeah, another note is Dembele can only play in Champions League. So we want to make that very clear that even if he comes back, Braithwaite is... Dembele in the Liga. So there's that, that that's finalized there. And, you know, as we spoke about last week, Frances, the five substitute rule is interesting too, because I think the way I've been seeing in the Bundesliga, bigger teams like Bayern Munich or even Dortmund, the the three to four to five subs that are on get on the field are players that were in the rotation anyway, and that were getting regular minutes and regular time. So I still expect Rakitic to come off the bench before Puj, uh, no matter what. I, I still expect to see Braithwaite coming off the bench before Fati as he did before the break. But that doesn't mean that Fati and Puj, Puj less than Fati. Again, Puj is a part of Barcelona B, but not to expect to see Fati coming in right at the end. And another note about Barcelona B is that it seems like the Segunda Division Bay, the third division where Barca B are currently in second in the table, it looks like that they are going to be just canceling the rest of the regular season. And then those playoff teams are going to be going into three rounds into a tournament. Usually that whole big tournament where you combine all the group winners and all the group playoffs and they all battle it out. That's usually over the course of a month. But this seems like it's going to be even quicker, about two weeks. So you're going to blink and Barca B is going to have decided their fate to see if they're in the second division. So I would not expect to see any Barca B players on the bench during that time. But I, there is time around that where you want to actually get, I, I think this would actually be the belief, that you actually want to get Puj a few first-team minutes and Callado as well, so that, or even Ronald Araujo maybe, so that they have a few minutes, a little bit of confidence, so they don't have to jump right into that playoff. And I know that Barca B is not the priority, but if Barca are blowing out Mallorca 
or Leganes, if they're blowing them out five goals to nothing or four goals to nothing, you truly have nothing to lose. And I believe that even if it was 2-1, I would trust those players and those opportunities. But you have nothing to lose to put these younger players on just to give them a little bit of run out to help them out. And it doesn't take anything away from the first team. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. I think Araujo is certainly going to be traveling to Mallorca, um, given the fact that Lengleg obviously won't be able to play. Um, bit of an aside, if you got any chance of watching Barca B playoffs, that is going to be an incredibly exciting time. Um, I think it's reduced to, I think, 10 days or two weeks. And those teams are not just playing for promotion, they're playing for their lives. A lot of them are playing for their survival. Uh, the difference between playing Segunda División B or Segunda A is immense. You know, hopefully, if Barca, Barca B... <laughs> this is going to be mean what I'm going to say now. But if Barca B get promoted, next year they'll be playing Cornellà. It's going to be Espanol Barca B and that will be that will be legendary. That will be something that the Espanol fans will always try to erase from the memory. So if it's just because of that, we should definitely support our Barca B boys to, to get promoted and go to Cornellà next year. Yeah, I just want to put a pin in the final preview for this Saturday. Again, we're going to have a show most likely coming out on Monday. So in between Mallorca and Leganes. So we can talk a little about Leganes next week. But the other important players for Mallorca to note are winger Lago Jr., who is probably the most important attacker Mallorca has, even if he doesn't show up on the stat sheet most often. He had the winning goal against Madrid earlier in the season, so he's okay in my book. Defensive midfielder Adrisu Baba is a player that I really like for them. I've seen a bit of Mallorca this year, but his second half was worse than his first half. It seemed like the Liga started to figure him out a little bit. 36-year-old Salva Sevilla probably did well getting a break at this point in the season, being 36 years old. And as always is the case with the lesser La Liga teams, they need to get as much out of their veterans like him to avoid having to pay big money on anybody else. And the final one is Alex Febesh, who was swallowed up by Barca's midfield in the first encounter. But I'm mentioning him because he has some creativity, and it's interesting to note that he was born in Catalonia, but came up in Madrid, in Real Madrid's system and has since gone to Mallorca permanently. So, Frances, I agree with your lineup. Uh, but as I said, with those five subs, that's really the big question for me is how this match is going. Does Kike Setien do what Bayern Munich have done, Dortmund have done, where they only use two or three or four subs? And a final little weird note, if you're listening to the podcast and got this far in the show, uh, Dortmund, I saw Matteo Mori for those old La Masia heads. He went to Dortmund in uh, 2019 in the summer. And he's finally getting a run out after having so, so many injuries. One of the big reasons he did not stay with Barca. He had just so many injuries and he wasn't worth, to Barcelona at least, what he still believed that he was worth prior to the injuries. So that complicated the situation. Contract negotiations broke down and he wound up going to Dortmund. So I guess for me, it's a nice thing to see that I know he's not a Barca player anymore, but you can see that there is those those Barca gears ticking. And I and I think that it's good for him to finally get back from injury. But anyway, he's getting a little bit of run out for a team like Dortmund because they've kind of been controlling these matches. So really, it's the fourth or fifth sub who gets an opportunity late on because we know that the first guys coming off the bench are going to be the same guys that were coming off the bench. And the other question for Kike Setien is going to be, he's just going to play his starters and want to get them match fit, wanting to get 60 to 90 minutes and so that they're raring to go and in, in proper form and just is going to basically do a full-on rotation through the rest of the time. But Frances, anything to add to that or should we wrap this one up? No, shall we talk about Neymar now? I think we can continue to talk about now Neymar for weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months and maybe even next year because I, I, I still don't think that he's coming I just, the money's not possible, but Francis, if there's something you want to add, please be my guest. No, I was just kidding. Sorry. 
<laughs> well, you wound me up just to, to lay me out. So here we go. We're going to end the podcast right there. Thanks for tuning in. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media too. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Hilton D13 for me. We've been a little more active on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group. I can tell you that group with the league of returning on Saturday is going to be buzzing. So we get deeper dives and discussions on there. You can also help us out on Patreon as so many of our Patreons have done, especially during this pandemic time. I've been so, so thankful to them to continue to help us make these shows at tbpod.link backslash Patreon. And on YouTube, the Barcelona Podcast, Frances, I need your drum roll, please we have hit 1000 subscribers on youtube it doesn't mean anything it's just a number but it's been exciting it to does see. it does mean something you've got four digits there now well done dan that's fantastic work um i really think that what you do in the youtube channel is basically what you don't have time to do in the podcast and and your content is so informative and so accurate i think that that channel is going to explode so um, i will implore the listeners that haven't subscribed to your youtube yet what are you waiting for? Just do it. There's so much great content coming out week in, week out. Yeah, so that's over on the YouTube channel. It's also another place to find the podcast. But we prefer to have it here in your ears instead of over on YouTube for the podcast. But you, again, you can check it out there. Hit that subscription button. And thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And Forza Barca. Forza. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.